How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. What a champion becomes a legend. McCarty Deaver has won it. Perkins goes in first. What a legend. What a champion. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. As always, a great pleasure to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Now, you have to be pretty good in this world to be known by just one name. Madonna, Cher or Bob. Bob Murphy is my guest. Hello, mate. Hello, Pete. That's, that's a cheeky start. Well, I'm on the back foot already. But it's very true. I mean, you're the most famous Bob that we've got going around. Oh, please. Please. We'll let Bob down. <laughs> Bob Hatfield. <laughs> I think you've got them covered. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, Pete. I'm really good. How are you? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm well. Uh, I think we've seen a really good start to the footy season. It's been entertaining. It has been entertaining. It's been, there's lots happening. I'm, there's a lot of intrigue. I'm, I'm kind of always fascinated by the psychology of athletes and teams, and there's it's all over the place at the moment. There's some there's some good, bad, and indifferent, but it's, it's, it is entertaining. Do you still like the game? Uh, yeah, it's, it's almost like having played for so long where you are in, in the eye of the sort of storm of it now sort of coming out of it, it's quite, it's almost like having to fall back in love with it. So the it's just sort of getting used to watching footy again and there's, you know, there's good and bad and all that, but when our game, when there's a close finish, that's when, that's when now I think our game is the best in the world. But there, there's lots of other times where I think I, I can sort of take it or leave it. But when it gets close, that's when I'm kind of reassured that it's the it's the best game in the world. Do you like the rule changes? Uh, I like I really like the six six six, because because I think it allows players to play with with more instinct. That players are players are drafted because they they've got the talent and they and they play with their natural flair. And there's a it's it's by feel. And then they get drafted into professional ranks, and then an AFL senior game. It, the sophistication just goes up and up every year, and coaches are more sophisticated, and they want to show those tricks. And they they have different modes, and they have different codes, and they have different numbers they want. And so that all of that information has to be placed un, into these young footballers, who then who then can't. It's not as easy to play with instinct. If they have to then judge, if they've got an extra man in defence, well, that means I can't bomb the ball because that the coach won't be happy with that. Whereas if they know there's even numbers, they can just play more freely. So I, I'm kind of happy with anything that allows allows the raw talent and creativity of players to sort of flourish. Does that structure that's in the game now turn players into semi-robots when they have these things drilled into them and you can't do this and you have to do that? 
and the amount of meetings that go on throughout the week and the amount of planning. I'm I'm not anti. I I just think that there's a there's a balance to it. That there, we, we, as much as I love you know the instinctive nature of footy and and playing with the freedom of you know the, the inner the inner kid. It's naive to say, oh, and, that, and that's how I want professional football to be. That's a, that's rubbish. That's that's wishful thinking. That's not how it's going to be. So on one end of the scales is that sort of freedom and instinct, but on the other is is the human battleships of footy that where when the game stops, there's a responsibility of each player on the ground to fulfil a certain role or a spot on the ground. So the, what's fascinating is what what players and what teams and what coaches can get that balance better than others. So if you may, if you if you are too robotic and too mechanical then that's not what you want either and so you you can see the the, the players who who have it who've mastered it of they they get to the they know how to just get to the right spot and as soon as the game starts they go back to they play it like they were 10 years old again. They they forget all about that other stuff whereas the guys who wrestle with it they're still worried, and you know we see players running off the ground when they should still be mm. in the game because they're so preoccupied with the structure of what they were told and their rotation. And I come off at the eight minute mark, and well, that that's not that's not the priority. The priority is to play the game. Can I get your take on it as someone who was starting their career at the start of this century, and? It probably wasn't to the extent that it is now, the analysis and, and the dissecting of everything. Did you enjoy the game as much with all of the things that we've spoken about that went into it as you got towards the end of your career? Uh, I, I, I made peace with it at some point that when I start, because I was a very, and I, I you know, I, I kind of still am instinctive and so the, to to come into a professional footy club to to play to that you know the structures and processes you know those two words that kind of send a shiver down a lot of people's spines mine included it took a while for me to adjust to that um but i but i made my peace with it I, once i got my head around the why why well the reason i need the re, if i'm playing on the wing the reason i need to stand in that spot when the game stops is because it's not that when you just when you explain it to you like well it's not it doesn't fill me with any kind of excitement or love for the game or the contest but the why is because I need to be that in that spot because it it might protect Dale Morris at fullback. So once I made peace with that, then it then it's easy easy to find motivation for it anyway because that's the responsibility is to to help your teammates and not let them down. And that's how, you know, I played to you know, not let people down. What's the difference, Bob, in the way that you look at footy now? Because you're heavily involved in the media, uh, you write beautifully about the game, you think deeply about the game. What's the difference in the way that you analyse the game now compared to the way it was when you were a player? There's a lot of myths in footy, and I think I think sometimes we get distracted by the level of sophistication and the microscope on players and teams of it being a lot of the stuff we're talking about, about the matchups and the the meters per minute and how often the rotations and these things it's very scientific and it's almost like breaking down a NASA report of how they see the of how the game is played but football clubs are still essentially the football clubs that we grew up in you know I'm from old Warrigal football club you could tell me what football club you're you know was it the Kyneton Tigers up there mm. 
but it's still it's still people and it's still about the symbolism of the jumper and the and the handing down of stories of the elders to the younger and the, and the older ones looking after the younger players and all of those things that some people palm or pass off as oh that's sort of you know romantic sort of nonsense but it's not it's it's it it's not at the expense of all of those the sophistication and the battle human battleships of tactics that's that's a, that's got to be there too but I, the thing that excites me about footy is the is the storytelling and the symbolism and when you can see it the unscripted emotion that's that's the buzz for me you can't have one without the other. It's got to be an amalgam. All of this scientific stuff, there's, there still has to be that passion, that, that beating heart of a football yeah, the club. the tribalism of footy is still, yeah. is still an important thing. And that's something that's always been important to you and especially the history of your football club and the Brownlow medalists that have gone before you and mm. you've dressed up in gear of old players. It is something that has always been very dear to your heart. Yeah, but it's also, it's also with a... Um, I think with the ball, it's all, there's times when it's almost it, it it's accentuated by a sense of desperation in though in those lean when you're getting belted every week, and especially you know I was writing a newspaper column, so you 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 want to write about something that has some soul to it, and if you're getting beaten all the time, well then the things you it was always a good reference point of you know the history of the you know singing the theme song, what does that mean, and the past players and what the characters were and. That's just the start of the journey, and there's plenty more still to discover with Bob Murphy, and we'll do that when we come back on the other side of the break. This is your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. So good to have you with us with our chat with Bob Murphy on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. All right, let's go to 1999. You're drafted. Your name's called out. You're going to the Western Bulldogs, to Footscray. What was that feeling like at the time? It was bigger than winning Powerball in our house. That's how how big it was. And, And it felt like the whole family was along for the ride. It was... You know, we're a football mad family, and as much as I, you know, as I claimed earlier that I kind of ex- expected it to happen, it's not really what did happen for, of kids from Warrigal. It was quite, un, you know, quite unusual. So it was a, a massive, massive thrill. Like it was, yeah, it was. It's quite a thing to have dreamt about it, and you know that that cliche of lying on your bed, like imagine if that happened one day. Imagine if that happened one day, and then the moment where it, you think, wow, that's it's a step towards it happening, but it's a it's a giant giant step. Did you care where you went? No, no, I didn't care. Um, there, it got clo- as the draft got closer. It sort of became apparent that it was it was definitely going to happen, and West Coast were were pretty keen. So at that stage, it was like we'd rather stay in Melbourne, but I no, we didn't care. No, there was no draft tampering. I want that. I want that. There's no draft tampering from the Murphy household. All right, there's the headline. <laughs> <laughs> so you walk into the change rooms at Witten Oval for mm. the first time and you look at some of the faces around the room. Who are the ones that you recall looking at and thinking, gee, I'm really actually here with these guys? Yeah, well, I mean, there were, there, were some, there were big names there and I remember, I remember Chris Grant being there and 
and Tony Liberatore and Nathan Brown came over and shook my hand and I mean he was the sort of he was the sort of the prodigy at the time and yeah it was it was just it was it was just wonderful in its in its surrealism and you know I remember we we drove the only the only downer for that holder because you're know, like don't forget you get this you get the kit they give you the box of you know a couple of boxes of runners and the the tops and the singlets and the t-shirts and I was I was bang up for that Pete. Mm. That was a big deal. And then hop and mum, you know, because mum and dad had to drive that. So we drove home back to Warwick. And on the radio, it said, uh, Nicky Winmar um, wasn't at Bulldogs training today and he's and, and retired from the game or won't, you know, won't play again. And I was, that was the only downer because I'd, I'd love watching Nicky Winmar play when I was, a, when I was a kid. And anyway, but I didn't get, I didn't get to play with him, but it was yeah, ma- magical time. Yeah. Incredible. Loved it. <laughs> You got to the club at an interesting time for the football club because they'd been up there and they'd been yeah. close and they'd squandered a couple of opportunities to go all the way to the big one. Yeah. We often talk about that premiership window. Did you feel as though or was the feeling around the club that the window had closed or was the feeling around the club that we're good enough to get there and we'll just keep getting there? Na- naively, it was not on my radar at all. I was too busy trying out the tracksuit and the new runners. But in... It's it's with hindsight I look back and go oh do I, that would that was we we arrived that group of draftees arrived at a, a pretty traumatic time because that that group who'd gotten so close you know they'd gone from last in '96 to pre, that prelim tragedy really in 1997 '98 bundled out and then '99 and then they they traded Stephen Powell Brett Montgomery and Leon Cameron three really popular, significant players of that footy club and that locker room. They were really big parts of that spirit. And so they were traded out. So I, I didn't notice it at the time, but it must it was a it was a locker room in a bit of trauma, I think, of um they're start you know, we're starting again, which is always which is always hard. But I, I didn't I didn't feel that at the time. Did you ask for twenty two? Or did they just Give it to you? No, I no, I I never asked for twenty two. That was just that was just what was given, and then I, I played in it for the, for that one year. I was you know I didn't care what number I was, and then and, and you I, were three from three. If your first yeah. three games, you won. The you must have thought it was pretty easy. Were pretty inc- dramatic, really. And the first the first game we played Carlton at Optus Oval, and they'd won fourteen in a row, and we had a heap of injuries, and that's that's essentially why I got a game. You know, thrown in at sixty-eight kilos, and we win by a couple of points. You know, I had played for a long time. I don't know if I had many better days than that first one. It was, it was just a magical football day. What was the drive to the ground like? Did you go with your mum and dad, or did no, you go I by yourself? I, went, I think I went by myself. But there, there, it's, fun, it's funny the things you remember. But I, I, I do remember being beside myself, nervous, just in the war. So they, we used to go out in the ground to warm up and do lane work, and just simple lane work felt all of a sudden like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. The confidence just, just left me. thought, oh, God, you know, there's so many people here and they're all watching me, you know, they're all waiting for me to make a mistake. That's what, that, that was the stress. Oh, my God. And, <laughs> but then when we went back into the room, we're going out to play and I distinctly remember Simon Garlic and Jose Romero in the, in the dugout of the, the you know, the, the path up to the ground, and I thought they were having a fight. I thought they were having a proper blue, where they were throwing each other against the wall to the point where I thought I might have to jump in and separate them. And then I realised that this is just what they do to g themselves. This is how this is 
how serious it is. And I did have that little, you know, little Wizard of Oz moment of like, you know, we're not in, we're not in Gippsland anymore, Toto. Mm. It was, um, yeah, that that's what that's what. Started. And then the game started, and it was it was a magical day. But there was even on the ground there was a, a fight broke out between Liber and Aaron Hamill. And Liber, I mean, Liber's half his size, but he was just fr- he was saying, "You and me, you and." and Players from both teams were trying to drag them away from each other because, I mean, Aaron Hamill was fearsome. He was sort of frothing at the mouth. I was trying to get to Liberty to try and kill him. And I was sort of standing there, but I was like a rock in the middle of the stream where it was like the the adults just sort of moved around me respectfully. <laughs> I just sort of stood there as it, all, as it all happened. But it was, I mean, yeah, a bit different to kicking the ball to yourself in the power lines in Albert Road, Warrigal. The view, Bob, from outside the club at that time, there was the the name that went around, the Dirty Dogs, that <laughs> they would do whatever it took within the rules and sometimes just a little bit outside the yeah. rules to get it done. Was that fair? Uh, there was a there was a desperation to win, and that I mean, Plough was Plough was a good motivator of winding. He he knew how to push the buttons of a group emotionally, but. He also had a group of players that a lot of them had had gotten a second chance. That there was there was a sense of desperation there. I mean, Lib is the obvious one whose career you know nearly didn't start, and then um, but Paul Dimitina was like that. Jose was at his second club and was fearsome, and you know those guys. Uh, I mean, Luke Darcy and Scott. Well, they were tough, tough men. There was some there was some a lot of tough characters there. Maybe not the most naturally gifted, but they were. They wanted it, you know. They had a real desire to, but it, it was all. It almost became routine of oh, the, the TV crews are here on a Monday, and we, and, the, and those those guys, all those guys that I mentioned, there'd be a bit. You do the warm up lap, and the cameras would be there, and they'd all be sort of laugh. You know, there'd be a bit of a laugh of oh, you know, who who was it? who did what. <laughs> all right, let's go to the end of the year. You've got uh, three games under your belt in your first yeah. year, as I said, three from three, so it's a pretty easy caper. Yeah. How did twenty two become two? Not much of a story there, Pete. I um, I I just I rolled in for 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 preseason day one, and that was there was a note on the locker. There was here here are the new numbers and number two. I was kind of a bit taken aback, and because Stephen Collinier had retired at the end of at the end of that year, and um, I'm not sure if they thought the twenty two was too heavy on my back because I was pretty light, but it was yeah. I mean an obvious honour, you know, the former number of Bernie Quinlan, Jack Collins, Premiership hero. So it was, I mean, I, I love all that sort of stuff. I, you know, the, you know the, the lineage of the jumper and all that sort of thing. I mean, I would have, I would have happily played in 22 forever and a day, but, but you know, I, I didn't uh, second guess him. And given your regard for the history of the club, you sit beside probably the most famous locker at the club, the number three. Every time yeah. you sit down, you look at that number three and you look at the name Witten. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, an icon, it's one of the most iconic numbers, jumpers in, in our game, I think, not just, not just at the Bulldogs, but it is, but it is the big one at, at the club. And, you know, and it was and Chris Grant's, you know, wearing it. And it was, he's, um, you know, a special player and a special, a special human being, so... At the time, of course, we were just draftees, sort of trying to annoy him and get under his skin and get his attention, and like little, like little lion cubs, you know, trying to, trying to just trying to yap at the heels, trying to get a, trying to get a reaction out of, out of, out of the champion. Um, he's too dignified for for that. Deal with it. Our little petty little jokes. <laughs> you said before that 
you probably didn't have too many better days than that first day against Carlton. What are the other days that stand out for you, either good or bad, and apart from the obvious, on the bad um, side? That's a good question. You know what, like the there's, there's a couple of the wins when people aren't expecting it. When when you when you're coming up, or like a there was the game, the game that would, I suppose would be remembered for when when Jono kicks it off the ground up in Canberra against North Melbourne, where when we were essentially a, a crap footy team, we weren't we weren't we were down the bottom, we weren't very good, and we played North Melbourne up there, and it was just it was just really dramatic, and it was when when you when you haven't won many games during that year, and you, and you get over the line in such dramatic fashion, it, it just they're important seeds, I think, plant, planted in, in young players' mind, and a lot of those players from that from that team, you know, become become you know veterans of the footy club, and, and almost you know played in preliminary finals, and almost went all the way. And I think those 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 little touchstones are important for for groups of players. That, that's the euphoria after that game is is one that one that stands out. Then there's the other side. There's the disappointment. What was the first knee injury like for you mentally? How did you cope with that? It was a shock. It was a real shock. I hadn't. I mean, I talked about the childhood. Was there was no setbacks. So boulevard of green lights is how I would sort of describe my childhood. Get drafted, and although weren't successful in terms of winning games, I was playing senior footy, and I was I was happy, living living a great life for a 23 year old. I think I played 120 games or something, and I remember I remember driving to the game that night, thinking, "Geez, at this rate, I'm going to play a heap, you know, a heap of games." And then, and then, of course, it it all just turns on a dime in a, in, a, in a moment, and knew it as soon as it, I mean, it was a it was pretty violent knee. It wasn't one of those innocuous. You wouldn't say it was innocuous. That's the word we reach for, isn't it? Mm. It was more like a the leg of a roast chicken being ripped out that's how it felt it was you could, i could i can still hear it in my head and the the, the medial it was it, almost like the knee exploded there was all sorts of damage in there and i i remember being on the golf cart as they took me off and you know in complete shock and trying to trying to sort of keep it together and and a um a little collingwood supporter leant over the fence as the golf cart was going off the ground he leant over and he said hey murphy you f***ed my dream team <laughs> Which, I think he was about nine at the time. It's pretty, it's pretty harsh. <laughs> Just a fraction on the harsh side. But but you know what? In in I look back on it, and it 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 was a it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me. The second one, which I'm sure we'll get to, I I I don't know if I could describe it as that. But the first one, I think, turned me into a professional footballer. I think before that, I. I got away on a bit of talent and, and I, I, I trained hard, but it wasn't after that knee. Having the game taken away from me and then having to rebuild my body and, and it kind of crystallised, okay, well, if I want to get to where I think I can as a, as a player, that I have, to, I have to meet it head on and, and push through some hardship, which, which, which builds character. And, and I think I'd sort of just coasted along those those early years. We'll talk about the second one, Bob, after the break, but not so much the second one. We'll talk about 2016, the yep. year, rather than that injury. The year as a whole, one of the most unforgettable years in football history. That's all still ahead on This Is Your Sporting Life with Bob Murphy, and we're here for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. 
You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Let's continue to investigate the sporting journey of Bob Murphy on This Is Your Sporting Life and we're here for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. 2016. Obviously, we have to talk about that day against Hawthorne. Yeah. But the start of the year, was there any sense that what eventually did happen was going to happen at the football club? Uh, yeah. And I'll take, I'll take you back just briefly. So 2015 was when we, we sort of came from, you know, being irrelevant and a laughing stock to we made the finals that year. Well, we, we, we lost the first final to Adelaide by, by you know, a kick. We, we thought, well, maybe not all of us, but I, there was a confidence in, internally that we could win it in 2015. That's how that's how optimistic we were. So when 2016 came around, we 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 were in that mode right from the start of you know we could we could go all the way. That's the headspace. So given that expectation, it's early in the season. I think it was around two or three. You're yeah. playing Hawthorne. I was calling that day when you went down the first thought that went through my mind was that might be it. Yeah. Is that what you thought? Yeah. Yeah. So I did, I, the quick sort of you go through the, almost like a little checklist in your brain. So I, as soon as it twisted, pivoted, I felt the crunch pop. That's done. I knew it straight away and thought, okay, that's, that's today's game done. That's the season done. Career, no premiership, bang. And then you kind of go into, you know, you go into a bit of shock again. Do you grieve a bit at that time? Oh, not a bit. Yeah, grief. Yeah, which but which a lot of people have a hard time with. It's in the context of the game of football, but we're obsessive about it. We're in this physically and emotionally completely invested to the expense of things outside of, you know, outside that world. You've no idea what's going on around the world much of the time. And so it's not in the context of grief that people experience when they lose someone. It's not, I'm not saying that, but it's if we use Jared Waitley's term of sport being the dessert trolley of life in that in that regard. Yeah, it, it is grief. I, yeah. So if we can compare that grief you were talking about to the loss of a loved one, there is a moment generally when we're all grieving that we realise that we can laugh again. Mm. Was there a moment in your sense of football grief that that weight was lifted off you? Um, it's funny, you know that that whole that whole that whole time was there were lots of tears, but I remember there were lots of laughing as well. I'm not, I don't know why that is. That might be the that might be an Irish thing. I don't know, but it was there's lots of people around and. Um, it was traumatic, but then you you know there was there was light moments. I, I can't I can't think of one specifically, but it wasn't all it wasn't all doom and gloom. Well, it's maybe the old saying, uh, you know, if if I don't laugh, I'm going to cry. Uh, I've seen that uh, that that dark sort of sense of humour in newsrooms over the years, mm. where you see some horrendous things come into the newsroom. Yeah, maybe it's just human nature. Yeah, I think. yeah. And I think it's almost a protective mechanism because if you sat there and you analysed everything that had gone on, 
then you would go to a pretty dark place. Yeah, and it's and you know what? Because there's actually not that much to talk about, and that's that's the aftermath of a of an ACL for a player. There, there's not a lot of mystery. It's you're done. You're done for the year. So you kind of find ways to distract yourself. But given your sense of team, you were never going to stand away from the team and the football club. So what, at the time, what role did you delegate to yourself that you had to do to keep these guys on track for that premiership that you thought could happen? Yeah, well, I kind of stepped away for a couple of weeks. I was um, grieving and all that and then went away, went on a, a little getaway and the, the boys were playing Collingwood at the MCG and I was overseas and I felt that oh, I'm not where I'm meant to be. I deeply felt oh, I'm not with my people. That's how that's how it kind of felt. So when I got back, I just threw myself into how can, what can I do to be of some help? And that's, that's really, I mean, the, the job of the captain is to be the conduit between the players and the coach and vice versa. You kind of, you, you, it's, it's sometimes a lonely place to be leadership position because you are in you are in the middle of that but I found that in some ways it was easier to do because you didn't have the fatigue of playing and you and you didn't have the um your own form to deal with you really I could just be I could just observe and I could relay what the group wanted to the coaches and I could help the coaches relay what they wanted to the players and but there's also you know there's just little moments of we had a, you know, you'd have the players player award, you know, that we would present the jumper. So I would do that every Monday, and that it was that's a, that was a symbolic thing of that's that, you know the captain did that, just small stuff like that. So to win the premiership, you got to make the finals. You make the finals. Yeah. Two things I remember about that September. One of which is the last day, and we'll talk about that in a moment. The other one is I was in Perth for the first final. Mm. And the thing that struck me most was that everybody that I bumped into was talking about who West Coast were going to play in the second week yeah. of the finals. They got yeah. ahead of themselves, I reckon. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know about that, but but we, again, this, is, this, this, this was the optimism we had, the confidence and the optimism that group had and the club had at that time. We went over there fully expecting to win. So that was the, that was the, the first year of the, the bye. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind telling you. So I saw the boys train bef- the, a couple of days bef- on the Friday, I think, before that. Libba looked like he couldn't run. Jack McRae, it, just, it was, <laughs> it was. Like, I was like, oh no, this. If they had, if we had played that weekend, it, it could have been, it could have been pre- pretty miserable. Because you'd been flogged by Fremantle. Flogged by, yeah, flogged by Fremantle. It was almost that aberration kind of a yeah. game. But it was at the same ground, which that kind of proved a, a bit of a blessing in disguise, I think. And then they had the weekend off. And then they came back and trained on the Monday, I think, and I was there for that. And it, I just remember sort of looking on in amazement, thinking, "Wow, like we'll win and win well." That they were, they were. You know, what's that old footy phrase of they're running on top of the ground? Yeah. Well, I don't. I still. I'm not. It's one of those ones that I fully believe, and I have don't really understand it at the same time. But that's what it. it that's what it, it. That's what it made you think when you when you watch them. That's that's a different footy team than the one that was on the park three days ago. So. The West Coast victory, the next two, you arrive at the big day. Yeah. You wake up on grand final morning 2016. Hungover. Were you? Yeah. Why? Uh, there was a function the, the night before. Peter Gordon held a function at his house for significant um, Bulldogs people of the past, the past captains and past administrators. And Irene Chatfield was there, you know, they were 
famous supporter who saved the club in 1989 and bracing myself for what I knew would be a traumatic experience, whatever happened. Been doing a bit of boozing around that time, Pete, let me be fair to say. Mm. <laughs> was that just to forget about everything that was going on well, around you? pain, the... yeah. 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 In, a, in an emotional sort of turmoil, I suppose. What was that 120 minutes like? Um, I exactly what you would imagine it to be. It was uncomfortable to say the least. That's probably the, that's the, 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 the gentlest way I could describe it would be to say it was, it was uncomfortable. I, I mean, I probably only watched half of the game because I, half of the final series really, because I would, I would look at the ceiling. I would just look up to, because I couldn't bear, you know, the tension and the game, the games themselves were, were tense. I mean, the preliminary final against GWS is one of the great contests of all time. Brilliant. I, I barely, I had great seats. I barely watched it because it was just the tension was, you know, I was, I was like a, I had my arms sort of bundled up like a pretzel. There were twenty five thousand there that night. It felt like there were ninety thousand, and it was a bulldogs was crowd. Well, I can't get any more than that wow, in. Wow, geez, it felt. And it was a bulldogs crowd. Yeah, yeah, and that. I mean, I remember leaving the the, the box that the the noise, the, the the atmosphere almost hit you in the face. Yeah. Um, and so grand final day was a, was another level beyond that. What was your overriding emotion when the siren sounded? Um, oh, but that stage it's euphoria, euphoria. But but a, but a um, almost like a gurgling of pain underneath the surface that I had to just push. Push down, push down, push down. Because I, you know what, I just didn't want to be an emotional anchor to other people, because their euphoria was pure. Mine had warts on it. As a bulldogs, as a bulldogs person, that's my club. They're my people, so I know all about the 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 pain of sixty two years and the drought and the you know the curse of preliminary fire. I know all about that. So from that regard, it was total euphoria and pride. But you know, I mean, it was living. It was the athletes' hell, in 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 the other sense. So there was there was pain there, but I I was determined not to show that because I didn't want to interfere with other people's moment. And then that gesture, that famous gesture, mm. when Easton and Bevo were standing up there and they call you up. Did you want to go up there, or did you just want to hover in the background? Uh, no, well, I was, I was just wanting, I was just sort of <laughs> hovering out the back. But it, it was not a, it, it was not a normal day, and it was not a normal moment, and it was um, nothing about it was, it was, you know, it was, it was as unscripted as it gets. Um, so you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, people say, oh, you know, you shouldn't have, you know, and I've been attacked for making that moment about me. Well, I think. I think not not going up would have been <laughs> yeah. would have been far far worse than that. And it was, you know, I, I it's it's really not that much about me that moment. It's it's more about the coach and the spirit of that team at the time that it was it was about it was about others. Two more questions, final questions about that day. Have you watched it back? Uh, yeah, I've I've watched it back once. Watched it back once. But I, How long did it take you to watch it? Uh, close to a year, yeah. And I, I, I wrote a, I wrote a book, so that was I probably wouldn't have, to be honest. I probably wouldn't have watched it. Um, and it was it was I enjoyed it actually. It was it was it was a good it was a good 
cathartic thing to watch. I, I was kind of taken aback. The thing that I remember, not if in real time it was the it was emotional. Obviously, you know, I think you're getting a sense of that. Watching it back months later, it was more just the ga- the, the game of football that I you know was is that. And I thought, oh wow, we really we really controlled the game for most. Like it was more more dominant than what I had remembered on the day. Mm. The other question was, I've spoken to a lot of players over the years who played in losing grand finals without playing in a winning one. Yeah. And they say there's this little thing that sits in your stomach yeah. and it never leaves you. Mm. Have you got that for a different reason? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I wouldn't, I, would, I wouldn't describe it as little. Yeah. It's an ache. Yeah. Yeah. That can never be fulfilled. I wouldn't imagine so, no, no. But that's that's life, you know. Can't get the. I mean, what would happen if you got if you got the girl and the and the premiership? Jeez, turn into an instant prick. Might talk about the girl when we come back on the other side of the break in our final segment with Bob Murphy. Hope you're enjoying the chat on this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Our final segment with Bob Murphy on This Is Your Sporting Life and we're here for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Bob, you talked about getting the girl before the break. You got the girl, Justine. Got her a long time ago too. Well, I, well, yeah, I suppose. But we met we met a long, long time ago when we were, we were kids. We were twelve, and now we we didn't hit it off straight away. I, I sidled up next to her at the the year seven social, and she I thought, oh, you, you know, what this you know, love at first sight. And she just turned to me and said, "What are you even doing here?" And that was it. So got off to a bit of a frosty start. But we we weren't yeah you know, we weren't an item in in school. Sort of. We were always close and a couple of stolen kisses here and there, but it wasn't until we'd left school that we we were together. And now we're yeah, married for 10 years just recently and got, got three beautiful kids. So that was the only pothole in the Boulevard of Dreams. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. That's, that, I had to, there's a few little few little bumps along the along the trail. I had to work overtime. She was, I don't know why she was not charmed by, by the... Seems by impossible the young, to believe. ...by the 14-year-old version. Um, don't know how that could possibly happen. <laughs> what about the three kids? Uh, they got sporting aptitude. Do they share your love of sport? Not really. No, the Jarvis is my oldest boy. He's a, he's eleven. He he's, he's, he barracks for the Bulldogs, but he's got no real no real interest in sport that much. He's much more creative. He's a prolific reader and he likes his art and building stuff. He's like how things are put together. And the girls are the girls are more sort of. I think they'll probably go down that path. They're, Frankie's nine and Delilah's five and they do gymnastics. But I can see, you know, they want to play basketball and football sort of there as well. You know, they just, I took them to the AFLW and I could see the lights in their imagination sort of go on there, which was a a great moment as a father to see that, you know, they'll be part of a generation of possibilities. And what's happened recently with the grand final in Adelaide and more than 50,000 people is going to only emphasise that in the minds of a lot of young girls. That's, yeah, which is, I mean, whatever word you want to reach for, whether revolution or, or the evolution of, of the women's game, but the the swell underneath of participation and interest, it, it's 
it's almost too big to comprehend. So when you see the, the I've never barracked for a crowd number like I was for the for the AFLW Grand Final. I was hoping it would get a big number, hoping it would get a big number. I was kind of blown away when I heard 53,000 people say, but when the, the game is bright with the for the women. And finally, uh, speaking of writing, um, we love your articles. We love the way you think about the game. Now that you're a best-selling author of a book, can we expect some more, some stage down the track? Well, I so I, I did the the book tour last year for the for the memoir, and that 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 was a question that would come up. You know, will you write another book? And the idea of writing another memoir, as you can imagine, is enough to make me want to projectile vomit all over this desk right now. But the if idea, you could not do that, that'd be handy, <laughs> just for just for health and safety. Mm. But. The idea of writing something, yeah, now that I've had a bit of a break from it, I think, oh, it, it was it, writing when you've, when you've got something to say, it's those, those good moments, there is, there, there's close to those good moments on a footy field. That's my experience. When you, when you can say something exactly the way you want it, it's, there is a buzz to it that is a bit like those good moments on a footy field. Um, and then, and that's you know, once you get that, you kind of you start to chase it a little bit. So the idea of writing a, a book has got some interest, but I've just got no idea what it's about. So the only thought I have had was a you know football fiction kind of set in Melbourne, and, and then as, <laughs> the more I fleshed out the idea, I realised it was I was just trying to write another Jack Irish novel, and I, <laughs> I Peter Peter Temple did that pretty well, and I think I'll leave that. All right. Uh, just do us one favour. If you're going to write that novel and any of it involves things that go on in the commentary box, could you just please change the names to protect the guilty? <laughs> no, I, I'll leave that alone. I'm, I'm the I'm the cadet. I'm the cadet. We'll look forward to seeing you in a in a commentary box or in the paper or your musings about football somewhere shortly. From the time it was a skinny little kid, mid sixty kilos, ringing wet from Warrigal going into the big time all the way through to the end of your glorious career. It's been a pleasure to watch you and to call you and now to sit beside you in the box. Thanks for coming in. Oh, thanks, Pete. It's a lovely to be here to say. Bob Murphy joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives, back with another star of Australian sport. Same time next week. Hope you can join us then. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.